Hey friends, welcome to Something Borrowed, season two, episode two, with me, Harry Baker, World Poetry Slam champion, and who a year eight student described last week as funny, but also like inspiring. I am absolutely thrilled to have had Zena Kazima as my guest this week. You were in for such a treat. I have performed alongside Zena in a few different places over the years, but most recently at an Amos Trust Christmas event where I was reminded of how fantastic she is. And it was such a joy to have her on to share some poems and to talk about poetry and just have a lovely time. So I hope you enjoy it. I'm going to drop you in just before my first poem where I explain what adrenaline-inducing thing I have been up to prior to recording. We talk about in the podcast there being good days and bad days and some days feeling easier than others. On the day of recording was a good day. Since then, I've had a couple of low ones, but even editing this and listening it back has helped me with that. So I hope that whatever state of mind you're in, it reaches your ears in in a happy way. I will be back at the end to talk a bit more about the Amos Trust and stuff I'm doing with them coming up. But in the meantime, I will leave you with the glorious theme tune courtesy of previous guest, the wonderful Phoebe Catus. Bye! Something borrowed by Harry Baker To all of my friends who are watching right now Thank you so much for being here I'm in a good mood and you can't guarantee that these days The reason why I'm looking so full of beans I have just come from a Bristol University Maths Department alumni network meeting where most people were talking about how they'd gone into sort of coding and space engineering. And I just did a poem at the start about prime numbers. So for my something old to kick this off, I'm going to do an old poem about maths. This week, I've been looking at rescheduling some tour dates, hopefully post June 25th or whenever that becomes, but also a couple beforehand online. So keep your eyes peeled for that. But my show from Edinburgh 2019 was about me coming to terms with the maths and poetry. And and if any poem typifies that, it is this one. It's called 59. And it is a love poem about prime numbers that goes like this. 59 wakes up on the wrong side of the bed. Realises all his hair is on one side of his head takes just under a minute. To work out that that is because of the way that he slept, he finds some clothes and gets dressed. Now he can help but look in the mirror and be subtly impressed how he looks rough around the edges and casually messing as he glances out the window. She's sadly as blessed with of 60 from across the street. Now 60 was beautiful. Perfectly trimmed cuticles, dressed in something suitable and never rude or crude at all. Unimprovable. Right on time as usual, more onky than a snooker ball, but I like to play it super cool and... Fifth and I wanted to tell her that he knew a favourite flower. He thought of her every second, every minute, every hour, but he knew it would not work. He would never get the girl because the love she lived across the street that came from different was a 59 and my 60s perfectly round figure. 60 thought 59 was odd. You see, one of his favourite films was 101 Dalmatians. She preferred the sequel. He romanticised the idea they were star-crossed lovers. They could overcome the odds and evens because they had each other while she maintained she was a bizarre by her mother that separate could not be equal. And though at the time he felt stupid and dumb for trying to love a girl controlled by her stupid mum, should have been comforted by that simple something 59 away from 60. You're left with the one. And sure enough, after two months of moping around, 61 days later, 61 was who he found. He had lost his keys and his parents were out. So one day after school, he ran to a house as he noticed the slightly wonky numbers on the door. 
He wondered why he never introduced himself before. She let him in his jaw, dropped in awe. 61 was like 60 with a little bit more. And she had prettier eyes and an approachable smile. And like him, rough around the edges, casual style. And like him, everything was disorganised piles. And like him, when the man of friends stayed a while, and she was like him. And he liked her. He reckoned she would like him and she knew he was like her. And it was different this time. I mean, this girl was wicked. So he plucked up the coverage and asked for her digit. She said, I'm 61. He grinned, said, I'm 59. And today I've had a really nice time. So tomorrow, if you wanted, you could come over to mine. She said, sure. She loved talking to someone just as quirky. So she agreed to this unofficial first date. In the end, it was only ready one minute early, but it didn't matter because she arrived one minute later. And from that moment on, there was nonstop chatter. How they loved X Factor. They had two factors. How that did not matter. Distinctiveness made them better. By the end of the night, knew that they meant together on one day. She was talking about stuck up 60. She noticed that 59 looked a bit shifty. He blushed and told her of his crush, the best thing that never happened because it led to us. And 61 was clever, see? Not prone to jealousy. She looked him in the eyes and she told him quite tenderly, you're 59, I'm 61. Together we combine to become twice what 60 could ever be. Maths. And at this point, 59 had tears in his eyes. He was so glad to have this one of a kind girl in his life. He told her the very definition of being prime son one himself because his heart divided and she was the one he wanted to give his heart to. She said she felt the same and now she knew the films were half true because that was not real love. That love was just a sample. When it came to real love, they were a prime example. Thank you so much. Right, moment of truth. I am going to try and add our guest. Hello, can you see me? Yes, I can. Okay, brilliant. Wonderful. I'm so happy to have you with me. I'm so happy to be here. I was trying to work out where we first crossed paths and whether it was Greenbelt or at the Amos Trust event in london but sort of through those worlds and i just completely love your poetry and was reminded recently when we shared a christmas bill via bethlehem which is one of the amazing things about the current times we're in it can feel disconnected but we're also able to connect in a really lovely way so i think the best way for you to introduce yourself hopefully is are you up for sharing something old um, so people can hear your poetry and just fall in love with you as I did. Yes, I'm more than happy to. We actually, this is the first poem I performed when we, the first time we met at Greenbelt. Fantastic. It's my something old because it's the first one I ever performed in front of a big audience when I was very nervous. Um, and it's called The Round Peg. I received a Round Peg Award in year six from a teacher I had only known for two terms. I didn't understand it at first, so she explained that like a round peg, my talent was that I fit in easily, blended in effortlessly, that I, the forever new girl, was really good at not standing out, quickly learning to sound like the others, look like the others. I smiled gratefully, didn't say a word about how There was nothing easy about fitting in or how it took four schools on two continents before the age of 11 to hone this special skill. She clearly couldn't see all the languages, narrow streets, cities, mountains, oceans I had to swallow to get here. The way I had to bind my tongue, train it not to sound so foreign, 
teach it to forget the poems of Hafiz and Sa'di that I had painstakingly memorized. The bright flame within me that was extinguished in this country that constantly reigns. I didn't have the heart to tell her. I used to be a diamond shaped egg and I had to shed a million memories and file down to the bone all the intricate, delicate corners and edges that my old home had slowly and carefully carved over the years and grow new thick skin in its place to fit the tight, confined foreign mold of her world. How could she see this invisible self-harm that left intangible scars when she celebrated the erasure of my details? the loss of the curvature in my hand, as it wrote in the Persian, I have now almost forgotten, the absence of the rhythm in my wrists as they twirl to the songs of Mahasti, Mo'in, Diana Haddad. How could she see the wings I had clipped, the voice I had buried, the life I had left behind, the past I had betrayed, what I had to give up, stifle, hide, change, the parts of myself I came to hate, the body I slowly turned into a cage in order to become this meek little round peg that would leave nothing but a small unnoticeable hole behind when it's gone. Mm, thank you so much. <laughs> Applaud on behalf of everyone in, thank you. <laughs> in the comments. There are lots of, sort of love hearts floating up, which I feel like is the new currency of online performance that's the new applause (laughs) exactly i'm trying to not get used to it because it will go back to to real live rooms but yeah in the meantime we we do adapt yeah it was so lovely to to see you at the amos christmas event how have you found sort of writing or performing over the last year yeah honestly I've barely done any writing I've just been been reading a lot because for me um it's kind of like sometimes when you do write a poem, you're thinking of how you're going to perform it. And the excitement behind it is, oh, you know, when I'm going to perform it, I'm going to pause at this bit and I'm going to, you know, change my tone at this bit. And it's almost like when the audience is gone, it's kind of like you should really write for yourself when it comes to poetry. But you kind of like you lose a little bit of motivation. So this is why I jumped at this opportunity to come on here, because I haven't like spoken about poetry or dealt with poetry for the last year. And this is just so nice get back into it definitely I mean yeah I found that for me previously I mean still now but you know a poem only feels finished when you share it on stage and it lands the thought the intention you had for it feels like in that moment it's worked and it may not land every single time but you feel like at least what I'm trying to say feels like it has been understood by someone and I've got a kind of slowly building collection of poems that haven't yet been tested in the wild so it sort of feels like they're finished to a point but I think they may end up changing again once I can do that and also something I found strange is I was fairly used to doing a lot of schools performances at least where I'd perform you know the same poem multiple times a day even to different year groups or classes and it still feels a bit new because it's new to them and you get to see it through their eyes and so actually you know, that first poem I shared is one of my oldest ones ever, but it's been given life by those different things. Whereas in the last year, most times I've performed my poem has been in exactly the same situation of me 
doing it to a screen. And so again, that, that's part of the reason why I, I love doing these is having at least someone to talk to as well and getting some kind of sense of it. Yeah. Um, it feels yeah. quite close to doing a live performance. I mean, the closest thing to a live performance. I have the same nerves as doing a live performance. So my something new on that theme, I finished it a year ago next week so it's almost a year old but it still feels new to me because I got to perform it once to an audience and then that day theatres got closed down and so I've not been able to do that since and so for me it still feels new because it is I'm still working out how to perform it and and how it feels and it's the one that I made a video of with Amos for the Christmas event and, and was able to work with a local videographer and, and really love that. But again, it's very different performing to camera as it is to an audience. And so, Absolutely, yeah. And it's called Impossible. And again, when I wrote it, it came from a sense of feeling helpless in the grand scheme of things, wondering, can we make a difference? Are we too insignificant? And that was through a lens of climate change, but that feeling is also apparent in terms of COVID or, or with so many things. I think it's easy to diminish our own power or influence that we can have. And so it's sort of a pep talk to myself, but mainly it's finding inspiration from the world around us, which is something that as, as poets, I hope we're able to keep doing even when our world is changing. But yeah, it goes like this. I'm finding it too easy to tell myself things are too hard. When facing the end that it's too late to even make a start. But if we take impossible to mean that we don't have a chance, we have lost sight of how unlikely it was we would get this far. The way the single fish outwits the shark by sticking with its school. The way the crescent moon outspins its dark to once again be full. Even winter, given long enough, begins to lose its cool. That which was once exceptional now barely registers at all. Flamingos and giraffes look like the word drawn by a child. We can't begin to comprehend all of the ways this world is wild. None of them asked if they were possible before they came to be. None of them have ceased to exist by being told they make believe. The bug who finds it all too much and tries to shut off everything. To have recovered and then summoned up the strength to stretch its wings, the snake so full of itself that it cannot help but shed its skin or how instead of death, the hedgehog went to bed and slept till spring. To think the earth exists at this specific distance from the sun, down to the angle of the axis on which everything is spun, the fact that trees happen to breathe that which we need inside our lungs, it would all seem impossible had it not already been done. We are impossible to everyone who's ever gone before. And everyone who's yet to come will push impossible some more, just as indeed the do's we did outdo the don'ts we didn't. So everything's impossible until it isn't. The thought of rivers changing course before somebody gave a damn. Or that a tide might turn from shore before a line's drawn in the sand. We cannot know how far our actions go, the impact they might have. Sometimes the only thing that we can do is to do all we can. Just as the night is at its darkest in the breath before the day. Just as the dry is at its harshest in that stretch before it rains. It's easy enough to believe in something when it's all okay. But it's when times are at the hardest that it's hardest to have faith Yet when the light begins to fade, that's when we need it the most. It's by surviving day to day that we see seasons evolve. If there was never any doubt, there'd be no reason for hope. It could be too late to do anything. It sure as hell is if we don't. 
And I am tired of that doom and gloom and self-fulfilling prophecies. I am trying to find room to gloom and self-fulfill the opposites. When it's an act of revolution to try to stay remotely positive, there's nothing wishy-washy about opting to be optimists. Whether a brighter future is possible, we may not truly know. The first step towards that future is imagining it so and so, as indeed the do's we did outdo the don'ts we didn't. So it remains impossible until it isn't. And when it's over, and when no more than old bones within the ground, still the soil knows to sow its seed from what is broken down, what is lost, is always lost until the moment it is found, and these things only ever go one way, unless we turn them round. We are so constantly surrounded, it is easy to forget. This world was built upon impossible that has not stopped us yet. So yes, indeed, the do's we did outdo the don'ts we didn't. It only stays impossible until it isn't. I love that. That was beautiful. The whole time I wanted to like click my fingers the way you said it. <laughs> <laughs> I spoke about gig, but I'm like, no one's going to be able to hear that. <laughs> I appreciate it. That was beautiful. Always hard hitting and lovely. Thank you. I find it interesting. I think I'm, I'm always looking for hope and reasons to be optimistic. And sometimes that feels more appropriate than others. I think there are times to be to be sad and to sit in that and to to grieve for what has passed or what is going on. Um, but this week or these past few weeks, it feels like there's been more tangible reasons for hope, whether it is relatives who are getting vaccinated or whether it is the days just getting slightly longer or whether it is that I went out in a coat and I was slightly too warm. You know, it feels like you, spring for me is such an exciting time of year anyway. And so it feels like slightly less hard work to find things to be optimistic about. And that, and that is no small thing. At least with people I've been speaking to, there's a slightly more palpable sense of something good might be happening at some point, I hope. A light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think everybody's like just waiting for that one piece of good news every day. And it seems to be getting... It seems to be coming more easily um, now. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I'm trying to get to a place where I write more about hope. I think right now I'm still in that sort of place where I use poetry as therapy. And so it's all just doom and gloom. All my poetry is just tear jerkers. <laughs> I think that's one of the things I love about poetry is it can hold both of those things and it can hold the heaviness and the lightness. And, and again, you, you know, you mentioned it should be about writing for yourself. But I think having come up through a performance scene, there is always a natural inclination for me to think, what will other people think about this? But I think the past year, because I have just been writing closer to for myself, mm. it's been a lot more reflective and a lot more gentle. I've enjoyed the excuse to kind of take a bit more space with it at least. Would you be up for doing something new, whatever that means to you? So my something new is similar to your something new in that it's not really that new, um, except that I've only performed it once and it's it's also almost one year old. Come on. Um, so, so I've interpreted new the same way as you. And I, I'm not sure if you've heard me perform this one before, but here it goes. It's called At the British Museum. Actually, I don't know if I should give a little bit of a brief context before I start. I took my mum to see um, 
the BP-sponsored um, British Museum exhibit of Ashur Benipal, who is an ancient Assyrian king from Iraq, which is where my family's from. And it was just a very strange and emotional experience for her. And it's based on that. At the British Museum, my mother presses her palm against the glass tearfully. Looks at the statue of Ashur Benipal, stares into the stone eyes of the king and says, what brings you here, brother? The BP banner hangs above his head, green and yellow colors of the new empire that has conquered the land of the unconquerable king, excavated my mother's roots, tagged and numbered it in foreign numerals and displayed it in this zoo of our heritage. Alongside a series of beautiful photographs of how BP saviors salvaged our monument, like they did not lobby for invasion, like they did not leave rivers that birthed the first civilization known to man dry, like they did not poison holy water that quenched the thirst of profit, like they did not burn palm trees that farmers had tied their destinies to for centuries. They hide the truth behind Assyrian legends and Mesopotamian mythology. There is no mention of Iraq. They use the old names because the hanging gardens of Babylon is a lot more palatable than the hanging of a dictator. It is easier to look at my country from behind a glass case than on a television screen. Because if you try to look at it in living color, it will burn a hole in your retina in the shape of crumbling cities, mass graves, broken bridges, civil wars. The museum goers, enchanted by the light show, do not understand why my mother cries, what this reunion means to her. Sometimes I wonder how long it took Ashur Benipal to pass through customs at Heathrow. I wonder how many times passport control checked the validity of his visa, questioned him about the purpose of his stay. I wonder if he was turned away at the border the way my mother was turned away at so many borders. I wonder why our artifacts are welcome when our people are not. I wonder if we are only valuable when we are dead, when we become fossil fuels or statues, if we are only relevant when we are no longer here when we become history. Thank you so much. I want to do the clicks as well. That, But mainly, I'm just, yeah, completely stunning. Thank you. Someone commented, their heart is racing listening to this. I felt the same way. Thank you. For me, some poems feel like they hold a certain relevance at different points and others feel like they're about something like dinosaurs that were never relevant in the first place. So that always irrelevant, I guess, which is maybe being unkind to myself. But I think other poems feel like they were written of a moment. And so I wonder at some point if I'll still perform them or not. How does it feel for you in terms of writing poems from personal experience or associated with memories that can feel very present and current? I think poetry is such a great way of getting a snapshot of a time but yeah when you're performing it in a way you're reliving it but you're also looking back on it so how does that feel for you having not performed it even though it was written that long ago I guess I think a lot of my poetry finds its origin in like almost diary entries like angry rants 
the like the, the notes up on my phone or it's like I've just experienced something really really like really affected me or touched me in some way like I remember when um Grenfell fire happened and you know we all went down there and we were so like involved in the efforts and we're trying to help and I remember every every day on my way back home on the bus I'd be like writing these little rants on my on the on the notes app on my phone and then eventually when I think about a performance that's coming up I'm like I want to bring this up I, I want to bring this to people's attention and so I'll sit down and compile all those rants and try and make something comprehensible <laughs> and try and make a poem out of it until it makes sense. But yeah, I think also like poetry in its own ways is, is a form of storytelling. And I think you can tell stories anytime, anywhere, you know, whether it's current or not, whether it has a message or not. I think just as a story, it stands, you know, and people enjoy it even just as a story. Definitely. And you bring them into that space with you. Yeah. One thing I love about your poetry is that sense of urgency comes through, but with the level of thoughtfulness and care that have gone into the language around it. And so it kind of holds those two things together, which when it's done well, I think is what poetry is able to do, as opposed to just a Facebook post or as opposed to, you know, and there is a time and place for that as well. But I think to be able to be in a moment and looking back on it simultaneously is, is such a powerful thing. So Thank you for, for sharing that. Um, is it all right if I do something borrowed? Absolutely. So I have gone for Mary Oliver, who Grace introduced me to, and, and we ended up having a poem of hers read at our wedding because she's so fantastic. And just recently I've been trying to look back on the maths and the poetry and how different they are or aren't and trying to weave the two together to make my life make sense. And part of what I have done to reconcile them is I think they are both about noticing the world around you in a particular way and taking all of that chaos or uncertainty and trying to make sense of it somehow, whether that is through a personal lens or a broader one. And I thought I'd come up with a way of describing it and then realised that I've just discovered what Mary Oliver knew many, many years ago. But she... There are three lines in this poem that just stop me in my tracks. I'm going to read the whole thing. And you'll know which lines they are because I'll light up when I do that. But this poem is called Sometimes and it's in seven sort of small parts and I'll try and do it justice. But it's by Mary Oliver and she is just my hero. One. Something came up out of the dark. It wasn't anything I had ever seen before. It wasn't an animal or a flower unless it was both. Something came up out of the water, a head the size of a cat but muddy and without ears. I don't know what God is. I don't know what death is. But I believe they have between them some fervent and necessary arrangement. Two. Sometimes melancholy leaves me breathless. Three. Later, I was in a field full of sunflowers. I was feeling the heat of midsummer. I was thinking of the sweet electric drowse of creation when it began to break. In the west, clouds gathered, thunderheads. In an hour, the sky was filled with them. In an hour, the sky was filled with the sweetness of rain and the blast of lightning, followed by the deep bells of thunder 
water from the heavens, electricity from the source, both of them mad to create something. The lightning brighter than any flower, the thunder without a drowsy bone in its body. Four. Instructions for living a life. Pay attention. Be astonished. Tell about it. Five. Two or three times in my life I discovered love. Each time it seemed to solve everything. Each time it solved a great many things but not everything. Yet left me as grateful as if it had indeed and thoroughly solved everything. Six. God, rest in my heart and fortify me. Take away my hunger for answers. Let the hours play upon my body, like the hands of my beloved. Let the cat head appear again, the smallest of your mysteries, some wild cousin of my own blood probably, some cousin of my own wild blood probably, in the black dinner bowl of the pond. Seven. Death waits for me, I know it, around one corner or another. This doesn't amuse me, neither does it frighten me. After the rain, I went back into the field of sunflowers. It was cool and I was anything but drowsy. I walked slowly and listened to the crazy roots in the drenched earth, laughing and growing. Oh, beautiful. Oh, my God. Mary Oliver. So lovely. Specifically, pay attention, be astonished, tell about it. If I was a tattoo person, that would be it. I was just about to say that. (laughs) That's something I want to remember and hold on to. And, And like you say, it feels easier to find things at the moment that maybe do bring us light or or bring us that. But I think what she is so magnificent at is noticing that in the everyday and the small things and just, yeah, distilling it down like that. Just so stunning. So stunning. The words are just like, oof. Yeah. I'm going to need to write down the name of that poem and go Google yes. it later. I would say <laughs> I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to go check for her book on Amazon. And, yeah, and get it. yeah. That sounds really nice. Would you be up for sharing something borrowed? Yes. So, um, this is a poem by Tamim Al-Barghousi, who is, um, who is a Palestinian poet. Um, and, I'm more used to reading his poetry and listening to his poetry in Arabic because um, it's really, really difficult to write poetry in Arabic. It has to have, like, you know, free verse is not really a thing that's that's really accepted in Arabic. It's quite frowned upon as not real poetry. Um, So in Arabic, his poems are are very structured and and the rhyme is so clever. But in English, he writes in free verse. So I feel like he's a bit he's a bit more uninhibited in his writing. And this is a poem called. in the Arab world live, in the Arab world live like a cat lives under a car. Shoes are all you see of life. In the Arab world live like a circus clown. A clown stands on your head. You stand on the next clown's head. And everyone stands with utmost respect, serious and very well dressed. In the Arab world live for a football match that has been going on for a thousand years. Players dash here and there, and the ball always remains in the hands of the referee. In the Arab world, live to tell a girl you love her, and if she loves you back, she'll slap you in the face. (laughs) In the Arab world, live to curse the taste of water, falafel, 
the coffee shop and its customers, your wife and her children, the crowd and the heat in the bus, the tricks of Satan being broke. And when you're asked about all that you say, we thank God. May he keep showering us with his blessing. In the Arab world, live like a schoolboy who has to salute the flag in the schoolyard every morning while you're longing for the streets outside. In the Arab world, live like a hesitant tear in the eyes of the proud. Pain exiles you. Dignity holds you back. In the Arab world, live watching the time lest you miss the news on TV only to see how people in the Arab world die. Mm. I just love that poem so much. Yeah. It paints such a picture. Yeah. Incredible. Incredible. It's a heavy one. It's a heavy one. He's just masterful at um, just capturing everyday life in the Arab world and kind of um, the difficulty of living under dictatorship and the difficulty of exile and the occupancy of Palestine and things like that. And yeah, he's just very masterful with his words. And yeah, to to write in, in multiple languages and lean into what that enables you to do. The last time I was able to travel out of the country before various lockdowns, I was at... Um, literature festival in Dubai in February and it was amazing got to perform at a kind of spoken word event in the desert under the stars oh wow and again a whole range of poetry from more traditional classic poetry and it was kind of between English speaking and Arabic speaking poets but one of the poets came up to me afterwards who wrote in Arabic and he said about the fact that there's not really a kind of sense of free verse. He said, in English, how do you know when it's a poem or not? Because they don't have the sense of And for me, (laughs) I, you know, I've been asked the same thing by, you know, students when I'm trying to get them to write and they say, what makes it a poem? And I don't really know how to distill it down sometimes. So to have it put that bluntly, I was just completely flummoxed. And I thought, you know what? Sometimes it's really nice to have form and structure to work within. And sometimes it's amazing to be able to, to be more free flowing. But I think, yeah, to be able to do both is, is a, fantastic skill is a talent yeah and i really don't like um translated poetry because i just think something always gets lost unless it's done very very well and so i appreciate that he's written poems in english himself and so he almost carries the sentiment from his arabic poetry into english so it's really nice when you want to share it with other people yeah and that one's my favorite amazing well i'm very grateful to to hear it in english um so Thank you for sharing. My Something Blue is, uh, well, it's another old new poem and it's called When This Is Over. And actually it's the poem I've performed the most over the last year. But in terms of speaking about some poetry feeling more relevant than others, I hope at some point it won't feel as relevant because it is about wanting to hug people and missing people. And again, with this sense of... uh, light at the end of the tunnel um i'm looking forward to so many things but but one of them is being able to see people and not have that jarring moment of 
I I know what this interaction should be, but it can't be that at the moment. And yeah, and so it's it's blue for that kind of underlying longing and sadness that comes with it, but also with a caveat that it is geared towards a, a hopeful next stage, whatever that might be. When this is over, I will hold you closer than you've ever known. When you see me, you can squeeze me till you feel my very bones. How I long to let you know that I won't want to let you go. There will be so much left to say, yet still some things are better shown. I will wrap my arms around you for the seconds we have lost. Our words will find a way to wait as we locate the weight of us, though we are changed. There stays a sense of same about the way we touch, though it is strange. We will embrace how long it takes us to adjust. The world of everything we knew is somewhere we cannot return. The world of everything that's new is one we'll build from what we've learned. We never know ashes could rise again until we'd seen them burn. The next time I'm stood in front of you, we'll feel like it's been earned. For all those overwhelming moments where I felt like giving up, there is no point where I was worried we'd forgotten how to love. And when the future's all we've got, well, then that's got to be enough. All that I know is when I'm low that I have wanted to be hugged. And if you'd rather have a handshake, that is absolutely fine. Even away from me is saying, I am glad that you're alive, whichever form it takes when this has passed and we've started again. I will no longer take for granted any chances to connect. Oh, I love that. I heard that um, when you performed it at the online Amos event as well. Yes, yeah, I think so. Yeah, oh, I remember just like, Sending it like um, messaging my friends saying, You've got to listen to this poem, it's exactly how I feel. <laughs> um, but yeah, it really, I just feel like it captures everybody's sort of feelings right now. Hopefully, will be stunningly irrelevant very soon when we're all <laughs> running around with our loved ones, but it may not be quite that fast. Um, but every time I perform it, it reminds me that having a connection can take many many forms and and for me actually in absence of seeing people physically I've, I've been amazed at how we have been able to connect with one another or how that has felt and so yeah this for me is another small way of doing that so I'm so grateful for you for coming on and sharing your poems and speaking to it's me. my pleasure it's, it's everything you know that I've wanted to do for a long time just to sit down and yeah. do some poetry definitely um, would you be up for finishing off for something blue, whatever that may mean for you? Yeah, this this something blue is sort of similar to to your something blue in that it's it's blue in mood. But I feel like everything I've read today has been <laughs> like that. That's kind of the theme of everything I write. Um, but yeah, I'll I'll share this one. Um, this is this is called istilal, which in Arabic means. Um, to, to take advantage and I was um, working in a refugee camp in Greece and I remember um, we had one of our volunteers who whipped out her camera and started filming people and a Syrian lady walked past and she shouted out it's Dilal. and um, the, the girl turned to me and she said oh what did you say and I said she said put your phone away um, <laughs> so it was just it's I've kind of uh, borrowed her voice to vent my frustrations about volunteerism and uh, volunteering culture, um, but it's from the perspective of this lady. Esther I shouted. 
bucket in hand on my way to stand in line for water at the UNHCR tent. She isn't the first. She won't be the last to make a circus out of our crisis. See this camp as her stage, to see this site as her pilgrimage. My everyday struggle, her gap year work experience. She continues undeterred, waves her camera phone above our heads, speaks over the footage of our lives like she is the divinely appointed narrator of our story, like we do not have tongues. This is not new. Every photographer that comes to this jungle seems to believe that this is our natural habitat, that we are somehow native to this barren land, this collection of tents, this makeshift civilization, this empty purgatory between two places that do not want us, like we do not carry borders on our backs, tectonic plates between our shoulder blades, that somehow we are part of this landscape that they photograph and exhibit back home for prices. They say they've come to feed us, and we both know who the hungry ones are. They arrive with rabid eyes, seeking to quench their survivor's guilt. At first, we believed their good intent, their solidarity with our cause, made room for them in our tents, until we saw they only wanted to hear our stories when the cameras were on. They'd make us stand strategically in the middle of chaos. They'd fix their hair and adjust their mics, but tell me not to change into my clean clothes. There's something about the indignity of a stained abaya that makes me a refugee, that makes them photographers, that makes their photographs art, that renders their documentaries cutting-edge avant-garde, that makes their audience revolutionaries. They bring us food toys for the children, sit us around a fire, ask us about home, the beautiful past, the treacherous journey. And we slowly started pimping out our trauma. I imagine my trauma aflame leaving my body to dance around the campfire for them, all swaying hips and coins dangling from scarves, my exotic pain, their orientalist dream, their grief porn coal smudged eyes and sorrowful cries, a desert flower they fetishize, a tragedy they romanticize, a fleeing gazelle, their spectator sport. I watch her fall and dip in front of their ravenous gleaming eyes, my beautiful henna-stained sadness, my colorful barefoot heartbreak. And I imagine them bringing out their dollar bills, their pound notes to tuck into the waist of my heartache my loss. The world will never change so long as their lenses lust after the narrative of the broken Arab woman, the angry Arab man, the bleeding Arab children, the bombed out Arab towns, unfurling on spools of suffering twirling between their fingertips, so long as her help is contingent upon how well we satisfy her insatiable Instagram feed, so long as we exist only until she switches her camera phone off. Incredible. Thank you. Absolutely incredible. Thank you. I, yeah. Ordinarily, I would just sort of sit in silence for a few minutes, but because I'm the only audible audience member, I can't do that. But honestly, fantastic. Thank you. Um, And yeah, 
I don't know if you can see the comments coming through, but there's a I lot can of see a lot of clapping emojis. There we go, clapping emojis. That's what we live for these days. Um, thank you so, so much. Completely a joy to have you. Thank you. If people want to find more of your work or find out what you're up to when gigs are a thing or before then, what's the best way for them to do that? I'm a bit better with Twitter than I am with Instagram. Um, <laughs> my handle is just Zina Kazimi, which is my full name. But also I'll try and put some things on Instagram once once there are performances happening and things like that. So Instagram is good. Twitter is good. Amazing. And I will put this out in podcast world as well and put any links to stuff on there too. But for now, thank you so much for joining me. It's been such an absolute joy to have you. Thank you. And hopefully we'll share a physical stage at some point i yeah. hope so i hope very soon and that day cannot come soon enough thank you so much to Zena for joining me it was one of my favorite ones i've ever done of this thank you to you as well for listening wherever you may be i hope you're doing okay and to those who are on the instagram live feed giving us clap emojis to keep us going i mentioned the amos trust i am doing some fundraising for them at the moment i'm attempting to run a marathon at the end of this month with far too little training but that is how i've done every marathon i've done so we can only hope it comes off if you would like to know more about that there'll be links in the description as well as links to Zena's twitter and potential future instagram i will link to some of the poems that we shared and mentioned as well there is also a link to my ko-fi page this series i'm I'm making sure everyone gets paid because i think that's an important thing to do at the moment with artists so if you would like to help fund the podcast and me and just creative endeavors in general there is a link to be able to do that if not i will keep doing this because i love it and to be honest this week i'd rather you put your money towards the fundraising if you wanted to because the amos trust do fantastic stuff in israel and palestine as well as all over the place but there'll be links to all of those otherwise i'll be back next week it is my birthday so i'm doing a special episode with my good friend jake and then we've got some fantastic musicians and poets lined up in the future so stick with us tell your friends stay subscribed be lovely look after yourselves and i will see or at least enter your ears for your podcast form very very soon Baker to all of my friends who are watching right now. Thank you so much for being here. I'm in a good mood, and you can't guarantee that.